Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 202 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is January 2nd, 2012, our first show of 2012. We've got a great great one coming up for you. We are down in San Antonio, Texas at the U.S. Army All-American Bowl. Ryan Abraham, your publisher, uscfootball.com, and Gerard Martinez, the national recruiting analyst for uscfootball.com. We're down here covering... Some of the future Trojans and some potential future Trojans, but we're going to do the podcast from down here. It's a little later than normal, so we apologize for that. Normally, we have it up on Monday morning, and now it's uh, actually here in San Antonio. It's actually after midnight, so we're going to get it up pretty late, even on the West Coast. But we've got a good show for you. We've got a lot of questions to get to, and I just want to welcome in our special guest, Gerard Martinez. Gerard, what's going on, man? How you doing? I'm doing very well. Uh, we're here in nine forty-three. And we're watching uh, some college football uh, at the end of uh, the night here. We saw Stanford choke away a loss to Oklahoma State uh, as we ate at uh, Saltgrass, which is a pretty good steakhouse right there off the Riverwalk. So, you know, we're uh, getting a lot done, working late hours. We are, you know, two hours behind, uh, you know, California time uh, with all the Texas guys out here and all the Central time guys out here. And uh, it's all good right now, but uh, definitely when uh, we wake up at 8 o'clock, uh, 7.30 in the morning, uh, definitely feel that two hours. For sure, for sure. Uh, well, let's get to let's get to the show. We're gonna try. What we're going to try to do is give you a, a Trojan Blast uh, probably on Wednesday. There's no practice on Wednesday, so we'll try to do something like that and let you guys uh, get a little feel of what's been going down here at the U.S. Army All-American Bowl, the practices, and how some of the USC prospects were doing. But we're going to try to get to some of these questions first. We're going to do some team stuff too, Gerard. Uh, you ready for that? Sort of. <laughs> I'm, a little dis- I'm a little disassociated from the team at this point. I'm so uh, stuck into recruiting. and I mean, this is, this is it, man. I mean, you talk about the dead point in recruiting crazy time. It's right here at Army All-American Bowl. This is pretty much right smack in the dab of the madness. And it's going to get a little crazier. But, you know, we're sort of at uh, that, that halfway point. You know, we got three more weeks left for official visits. Um, but uh, this is really kind of where the madness begins. And, uh, yeah, teams – USC, Matt Barkley is like – that seems like years ago. And it was. It was 2011. <laughs> it was last year. True. Um, okay, well, let's – we'll do some recruiting questions first and kind of ease you into it. And then we'll go into – I can answer – I'll answer some of the team stuff. But we'll just keep talking for a little bit. Uh, first one up is from JD in DC. He loves asking recruiting questions. He wants to know why do you think USC has been focused on Darius Rogers versus a guy like Greenberry or Treggs? Are the coaches especially looking for a big possession receiver in this class? What do you think of all those three guys? Definitely, I think they are looking for a possession receiver. I think they're looking for a pure receiver, someone who's not necessarily an athlete that they feel that they can put at receiver. I think with 
Darius Rogers, he's a guy that uh, I think early on in the process evaluated him and evaluated him correctly that he was a pure receiver and had a lot of natural skills as a ball catcher. Uh, when I watched him you know, early in his junior career and he played against Modern Day, I wasn't so sold. I thought maybe he might be safety, uh, maybe even a linebacker. Uh, but, you know, watching him his senior year, he's definitely a pure receiver. And, you know, there could be some debate. Obviously, a lot of people have a lot of different opinions as to who is the best wide receiver in California. I've seen Bryce Treggs, excellent receiver, very polished, doesn't have the best top-end speed, and isn't the biggest guy in the world. And he, you, you kind of wonder if he could wear out a little bit as a receiver. But he's fantastic. I think the Greenberry is a great athlete. I think there's a lot of people that feel he may be able to play safety and maybe be a better safety in the wide receiver. Problem with him is that he just doesn't want to play defense. And I think in order to be a great defensive player, you have to have a passion for playing defense. You have to have aggressiveness. You have to have instincts. You want to go out there and hit people. He wants to go out there and make plays with the ball in his hands. Uh, so there's a lot of comparisons between uh, Deontay Greenberry and Darius Rogers in terms of their style of play and how they are. Uh, USC went after Darius Rogers and they feel like he's better at this point. I, I guess that's really how you can explain uh, that one in terms of uh, who they recruited harder earlier on. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of guys out there. I think a guy that's very underrated, and I've talked about him several times, uh, Gabriel Marks. Uh, Gabe Marks out of Venice High School in Los Angeles, a fantastic uh, possession receiver, a guy that's really tough, a guy that plays a lot faster than he times, uh, and he's going to be a really good receiver for somebody. He's decommitted from SMU re- recently, and uh, he's going to end up somewhere on the West Coast, just not really sure where, um, but he's a fantastic receiver as well. But I think at the end of the day, USC was very comfortable with Rodgers, and he is very much that pure receiver, and he's a guy that can be dominant when he wants to be, and that's the main thing. I think they've got to you know, have some motivating factors and have a coach there that's going to fire him up and uh, maybe tell Gilmore is that guy that's going to get in his ear and push him a little bit because he's one of those guys that can disappear a little bit. We've seen him in a lot of games, Ryan, this year, and some of those games he kind of sort of disappeared on you. That's true. I saw him, I think, three or four times this year, and that's, that's happened. But I think a lot of it was the coverages too. Um, he gets a lot of attention. Let's see. Let's go to Melvin. It's kind of a general recruiting question not really specific with usc but he says i notice every year freshmen recruited in february who are signed they still have to go through an admission academic qualification process in the fall doesn't usc and other universities screen and filter each recruit to the point that they know when they offer the scholarship and accept the signed letter of intent whether a student does or not qualify academically that's from melvin Yes, but only to a certain extent because there's still another semester of high school that needs to be finished for all of these kids uh, unless they're early graduates uh, in December. So to answer your question, yeah, they do definitely look at their transcripts. Uh, they look over them with the fine-tooth comb, and there are guys at USC just won't go on because of grades-wise. In fact, I will tell you this, Stefan Diggs, a five-star wide receiver from Maryland who's here at the Army All-American Bowl, he's going to visit USC January 20th is the uh, date he has right now. Talk to me a little bit about USC and how late USC began recruiting him, and I asked him about that. And he said specifically, USC didn't really start recruiting me early because they looked at my transcripts and I was down a little bit in some of my core classes. My grades weren't up to par, but I kind of surprised them a little bit over the summer and the beginning of fall and got my grades right, and that's when they started talking to me. So I understand that. It's a business decision. You're not going to invest a lot of money, and you're looking at a scholarship, and, and that equates to money, uh, in, in something that you're not sure of, and, and they feel USC being that Stephon Diggs is now a little more of a sure bet to be able to qualify and be okay. But you're still projecting there because you still got another semester that he's got to take. And at USC, if you get a D, 
that last semester of your senior year, you're not going to USC. They will not take you. So there's always a wild card there, and you, you have to have that last semester of your senior season. So to answer your question, yes, but uh, kids still have to basically you know finish off their academic career strongly in order to get to USC. So there are sometimes some academic casualties. All right, thanks for that one. Let's go to Robert. It's kind of a – it's not a real happy question, but – there's so many scholarship math questions that come up, and there's little nuances, and this is kind of one of them. He wants to know when does a scholarship become open or unused that an early enrollee could fill it in the spring? A uh, scholarship would seem unused if a kid has a career-ending injury in fall practice and didn't play in any games during the season. Does it make any difference if the kid's a freshman or junior, played one game or ten games? That's from Robert. It does not. A scholarship is renewed annually regardless of whether a player is injured or not. So you get injured and the season and the year finishes out, you're still on scholarship. Uh, but even if you're healthy, those scholarships are only renewed yearly. So technically, you can take a scholarship away from any player at any time. So Matt Barkley, they could take a scholarship away, boom. But I don't think that's going to happen. Um, let's see. Let's First off, okay, he wants to say, good job, Ryan, on performing solo last week's podcast. Thanks very much for that. It's kind of weird talking for 45 minutes straight with no one else to uh, bang on. <laughs> Gerard's used to that. Uh, secondly, I've been hearing some rumblings about uh, Hiva Latui, a USC commit, switching to USC. Is there any validity to that? And that's from Evan. No, there's not. There's no validity to him being a USC commit, switching to USC, as just stated. He's a UCLA commit that could switch to USC there's a possibility of that. Uh, he's originally from Anaheim, California, and would like to return to Southern California and play. Uh, we'll see how this goes. UCLA has already lost one very good recruit to USC, and that was Morgan Breslin, uh, the four-star defensive end who was a early enrollee and uh, took an official visit to USC without UCLA really knowing about it. And while UCLA is out trying to recruit all USC's targets and their commits, uh, they basically snuck one out from underneath their nose. So we'll see what happens with uh, Hiva Lutui. It could be another guy, uh, a center, 6'3", about 285. Uh, a lot of people say pound for pound might be the best offensive lineman in Texas this year. He's just not a real big guy. But being a center, you really don't need a big guy. So we'll see if USC is able to kind of sneak him away from the Bruins. He's going to officially visit USC January 20th. All right, thanks for that one. This is uh, from Mike in Monrovia. So he's in Monrovia. Who do you think he's going to ask about? I have a question for Gerard. If we lose out on Ellis McCarthy and Eric Armstead, which Eric Armstead is certainly a done deal now. It's not, he's not coming to USC. Does, oh, he said if, you, if Eric Armstead signs elsewhere, which he will, uh, is there a surprise defensive line recruit that USC is after that we are not hearing about? I, I think there already was one, but you can uh, comment on that too, Gerard. Well, the surprise defensive line recruit would obviously be Morgan Breslin. That was kind of a surprise uh, in terms of how USC recruited him and, and under the radar. And, and really at the last minute, it wasn't necessarily he'd been a secret for the whole year. It was kind of just uh, kept a secret for a couple of weeks. And then he turned around and, and basically committed uh, right away when he was offered and he visited. Uh, in terms of defensive tackles, because that's really the position you're talking about, that three technique. Uh, you know, if there's a surprise out there, it's obviously somebody that I don't know about or somebody that's being kept low so you can't really talk about it. But uh, nobody huge uh, that I know at this point, nobody that uh, 
you know, would be maybe a, a plan B that would be this uh, amazing player. Um, you know, I think Leonard Williams is a guy that's a 6'5", 265-pound defensive end, maybe could play three technique from Fort Lauderdale, uh, Florida, and, and he's a guy that uh, has a, a lot of ties to Los Angeles and actually came out to the Rising Stars camp. And uh, Auburn seems to be his leader right now, but there's uh, a lot of confidence that he's going to be able to officially visit USC. And it seems like, you know, USC does pretty good. You get an unofficial visit, kid comes out in his own dime and returns for an official visit, that's usually a good sign that he has a legitimate interest in your program despite being from the East Coast. So uh, that's a guy that could maybe develop into being a, a defensive tackle three technique, which might be a little bit of a surprise for USC. Oh, this is pretty rapid fire. I'm impressed, Gerard. We are, we're actually sharing a stick microphone. We were, I've, when we're on the road, I don't have my little mixing board and condenser microphones and headphones and all that stuff. So we're kinda, we were using the uh, laptop microphone before, and it just sounds a little, it doesn't sound great. So we're using an external microphone, but we have to kind of hand it back and forth. So maybe that's, maybe that's the key. That's how we're keeping Oh, Gerard's also tired, too, since it's after midnight here, and he's been here for a few days covering this thing. Uh, I just flew in today. Uh, which is why we're doing the podcast late because I was traveling all day. But we'll, we'll keep going. We'll do a couple of recruiting ones, and we'll switch to some team stuff and then come back and finish off recruiting. Gregory from the OC wants to know, Lane was hoping for five or six early enrollees, currently have four. Bowman's classroom result may have him enrolling in May, which would count towards the 2012 class. What do you think is? Who do you think is still on USC's EE board besides Eric Armstead? No, and T. Shepard. That's from Gregory and the OC. At this point, that's really all that's out there. Um, there may be some other Juco prospects that can make a, a late run at, but, um, you know, it's kind of been one of those things at the end of the stretch there. You've only got a pool of so many guys that you can get in early, and it's always difficult with junior college prospects to get those guys in early. And we say it every year, and every year, you know, during the summer, there's maybe three or four guys, and especially with this coaching staff over the past couple of years they've been a lot more aggressive in offering junior college prospects than the coaching staff under Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll was pretty pretty uh, stingy when it came to scholarship offers for junior college prospects because those guys really have a hard time getting in in January and that's when you want those guys in. You want to be able to get them in for spring ball so you can really get them hitting the ground running when they get into fall camp. If they're coming in in June like the high school guys are and they've only got three to play two, it just gives you a lot less time with them and there's just a lot less impact that they can make. So uh, one of those things where, you know, in terms of the, the, the targets, it's not a long list and and really nobody comes to mind that's an impact type guy and I don't know the really the question that becomes uh, real, real relevant then is USC can they go after just anybody and just to fill those spots are they just going to go after bodies kind of like they did last year they brought in some early enrollees that uh, I, I don't think that they bring in on a normal year uh, with normal scholarship limits uh, they had you know 35 something offers to give last year so you're kind of trying to bring in some guys and you're just trying to get some scouting guys at that point because you're so low on scholarships on your roster this year's a little different because they've got more scholarship guys and I don't think they need to do that plus you have that 15 that's going to be enforced for the 2012 class so you know, my, my gut says no. You can't just grab guys to grab guys. But, you know, stuff happens, and, and it's kind of hard sometimes to project kind of what the strategy is. Uh, you know, and I, I've said it probably every podcast that we've had. As far as strategy and as far as angles go, Lane Kiffin sees them all. So he's looking at it, and, and that was definitely, you know, something that was said that five to six guys is who they wanted to bring in. But um, are there five to six guys quality 
out there still? Uh, I would venture to say no. I think that kind of that recruiting talent pool is drying up very fast, especially as we get on the other side of uh, the Army All-American game. And, uh, you know, kids are going to start having a roll at USC January 9th, January 10th. Okay, uh, next one. Let's see. It says, first, I have a tremendous amount of respect for your coverage and opinions regarding USC football and recruiting. Well, thank you very much for that. He didn't leave a name, just an email address. But he says, why does USC need another fullback in Pinner? He mentioned uh, a couple of tight ends in his question, uh, different guys that he could use as fullbacks, kind of like what Kevin Ellison did, um, you know, Christian Thomas and Gribble and all the, the young tight ends they have, plus, you know, guys like Junior Palme. Um, he said, with limited scholarships available, I think we can uh, feel a position of need. Uh, I'm sorry, he said feel. It's fill a position of need, for example, cornerbacks or sa- safeties. Thanks for all you guys do at uscfootball.com. But basically, he's kind of questioning why they gave uh, Pinner a scholarship. I think that if there's one thing about this staff uh, that USC fans really should like, and it's something that will get overlooked, is that they do seem to appreciate the role players. And they do seem to go after guys and have specific plans for guys that may be under the radar at positions that are not really looked at as really important, valuable positions. Everybody's looking at receiver. Everybody's looking at running back and at quarterback. But in a pro-style offense, fullback's a very, very important position. And granted, they do have some guys at tight end that may be able to play that position. You know, Rhett Ellison did a fantastic job, but Rhett Ellison's a unique guy too. Rhett Ellison wasn't necessarily the most highly recruited guy coming out of high school. So, you know, they've got uh, Soma Vinuku, who we expect some big things from. We think he's very, very talented, and he's going to be able to do a lot from that fullback position. Uh, True enough, they do have Christian Thomas still playing tight end. It remains to be seen if he's going to stay at tight end, however. Uh, and then you also have Junior Palme, and Junior Palme is another guy that we expect a lot from, and we think he can fill that position uh, in the hybrid-type role. Something else to think about with Jaleel Pinner. Jaleel Pinner is used as a short down back uh, for, for Mission Viejo and really was not a tailback necessarily. So he's a fullback in that respect in that you know he really didn't get the ball a whole lot, and he did block more uh, than he really ran the ball. But he is a big body. He does have good feet. And right now, when you look at what USC is doing recruiting-wise, they're also looking for a power back. And Jaleel Pinner is kind of maybe going to be that fallback guy for a power back. And so you've got to have somebody out there that's got you know, at least 225, 230, just to lean on people. Now, he's young. He's not going to be able to do a whole lot. He's not going to be necessarily Mike Tyler next year in terms of being able to be a big back that can come in and block and get every first down for you. But he is at least somebody that can sort of punish some offenses in certain situations. And that's something that, you know, the offense just lacks uh, unless they're able to recruit another power back in this class. And, again, we talked about early enrollees kind of drying up a little bit. The power back selection out there in the 2012 class is drying up as well. There's very few guys out there that are legitimately 220 uh, 215 plus pounds that are coming out of high school or even junior college that USC is going to be able to get in uh, that our guys are going to be able to move the change on third and one and third and two and so you know Jaleel Pinner can be a fullback as well so you can kind of get that you know two for one for for Jaleel Pinner there you get a fullback which is a very important position in this offense, you guys got to understand, man, I formation, you've got to have a lead blocker. And two, uh, you get a guy that, uh, you know, he does have enough talent to play some running back. So you use him as a big back and kind of becomes a fallback uh, if you're not able to get that big running back in the 2012 class. 
little Buck Allen, maybe. Some Buck Allen. Because he's a big guy, too. Uh, we'll see. Everyone wanted to see what was going on with him. Um, Gerard's kind of going, huh? Who knows? We'll see. Let's uh, knock out a few. We can do some rapid-fire team questions, Gerard. And Lamar wants to know. He is looking at the 2012 predictions for next year as far as the top five. He's seeing USC in there, but he thinks that there's a lot of love for other programs, some SEC schools, Oregon, after winning the Rose Bowl today. He does. He thinks that USC is kind of getting dissed national, uh, nationally on a national basis and in the own conference. Why is USC still not getting the love? And I don't really agree with you, Lamar. I think USC is going to come into next year ranked in the top three. And with Barkley coming back, I think that solidified that. USC is going to be getting a lot of love. I mean, uh, Lane Kiffin was on uh, game day today, uh, t- you know, talking all about the bowl games and stuff, and they had him on there. I think with Matt Barkley leading the way, he'll be the Heisman favorite going away. USC, USC will be ranked, you know, two or three probably to start the season next year. With Stanford losing, USC could finish number four in the AP poll this year. So, I mean, there's, I, I think USC is going to be getting a lot of love out there. And with the, you know, the sanctions gone, and they're able to go to a bowl game, and they're able to play for the Pac-12 championship game, I think the attention is going to be, a lot of it's going to be on them. It's definitely tricky because you look at uh, where USC is as a program, and there's a lot of people that assume USC is going to be damaged by these sanctions, and everybody's kind of waiting for it to happen. And you could argue maybe there's some national pundits out there that are kind of uh, hoping that it happens, that there's a storyline there that uh, eventually the sanctions caught up to USC because at this point they ne- they haven't you know after this season and what happened um, you know they played so well down the end of the stretch you, know, you would see no sign that uh, the scholarship sanctions or or the bowls have have really kind of derailed the program. Uh, granted, the scholarship sanctions themselves have yet to really take a toll. I mean, this is going to be the first year where the classes are going to be limited and restricted, and you're going to be under 75. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of people that feel like, hey, you know what, USC talent-wise, when you're talking about the quality of talent and not just the quantity, uh, they're going to be able to, to get through that. But, you know, you've got, as Ryan said, a lot of people that – are going to ride the coattails of Matt Barkley and his success as a, as a junior going into his senior year, the Heisman Trophy candidacy, uh, a lot of what you know USC came and did at the end of last season and all the momentum that they had. And people tend to kind of rank as you ended the last season and then they put a lot of, you know, a lot of stock into potential. So you've got those two ingredients that you would think they'd be top five, but you know, how, how, how high will they be ranked actually? That, Again, I, I wonder if there's going to be people out there that are going to kind of withhold that uh, high ranking normally that USC would get traditionally coming back with you know a, a player like Matt Barkley as a quarterback and, and the talent that they'll have on defense. I wonder if there are going to be a few pundits out there that are going to say, eh, not so fast as, as you know, this off season goes and and kind of we start to get a little bit you know closer to next season and people forget about how good USC was at the end of the year so uh, I agree with Ryan I don't necessarily think that USC's not getting any love but I think it opens up the question you know will there be uh, some contrarians out there that uh, will kind of keep USC maybe maybe they'll be seven or six and they won't actually be top five to start next year that's going to be what's interesting to see I do think that happened a lot this year, but I think after beating Oregon on the road and, and beating UCLA 50 to nothing, I think now that they can go to a bowl game, it shouldn't be overlooked. Maybe there's still a few people overlooking, but it's not going to be like, you know, like the Barry Bond steroid thing. Like he's going to be overlooked 
for the Hall of Fame. And I think that was a, a similar thing that happened to USC this year under the sanctions. It's just like some people wouldn't, you know, vote for players for awards. They wouldn't rank you. You know, USC was uh, I think six and one at the time and unranked or whatever, like her, the lowest ranking ever as a USC team at eight and two and six and one was during the year. And then after beating Notre Dame on the road and beating Oregon, then they kind of jump back up. Uh, let's see. We have one from Mickey in South Carolina, the other USC. They got a win uh, today. Uh, for over Nebraska. First, any stat, uh, status on Robert Woods' foot-ankle procedure and if that surgery may impede Robert's performance on the field. It wasn't supposed to. He's been tweeting. Um, we haven't got any kind of official update from the school or anything, but it seemed to be like everything was going okay with that. You haven't heard anything. Like, yeah, so, and then uh, he also wants to know, with Matt Khalil gone for the NFL, any opinion as his to replacement? I actually had Lane Kiffin on two weeks ago and asked him about that. And he said they haven't really thought about it. Um, Nathan Gertler, the walk-on, was his backup and actually came in and played well. Um, it'll be fun to see this spring, you know, who they actually kind of put in there. They might move guys around a little bit. Um, you might see some of these freshmen coming in. So we'll, we'll talk about that actually maybe a little bit more on Wednesday when we do our Trojan Blast. There's a few guys here, Gerard, that could potentially be left tackles for USC next year. Don't you think? Well, definitely. I mean, they've got uh, Zach Banner, 6'9", 300 and 10-pound uh, offensive lineman from Lakewood, Washington, playing left tackle right now. And he's really played a lot more right tackle when I've seen him, and he's been really good at right tackle. And this is kind of his first experience against this level of competition playing left tackle. And, you know, it was funny because he was really good, and you, you kind of tried to get a sense for how good he was just watching the limited drills. And they didn't practice a whole lot. They had a pretty physical, aggressive practice in the morning, uh, and that's when uh, Jordan Simmons, the five-star offensive guard, uh, ended up going down uh, with a knee injury. Uh, it doesn't seem to be serious right now. At least that's what the trainers feel like. He's going to get an MRI in the morning, and uh, we'll definitely keep you updated on that. And all the details of kind of how that went down and, and how he got that injury uh, can be found on uscfootball.com uh, in our notebook uh, that we put up tonight. But, uh, you know, Zach playing out there uh, next to him uh, at left tackle while uh, Simmons was playing left guard. Uh, it you know, kind of hard to gauge really how good he was playing. And then uh, I talked to the defensive line coach for the West, Reggie Harris, who's uh, actually an assistant coach at uh, Grant High School in Sacramento, and talking about you know the defensive lineman that he has and Ellis McCarthy specifically. And I asked him, I said, you know, looking across at that other line that you're practicing against, last year the West offensive line gave up 12 sacks. I mean, it was uh, poor Cody Kessler. He was running for his life the whole freaking game. And in this game, in this you know year, you've kind of got an opposite in terms of talent because the offensive line for the West is is really one of the best the West has, has had in recent memory. So who's out there, you know, kind of impressing you? Who, what offensive linemen uh, are catching your eye? The first guy he said was. Uh, I can't. I can't remember his name. Seventy-three, the big dude. <laughs> and I said, Zach Banner. Yeah, Banner. Oh my God. He said, Banner. He said, this dude. Whoo. I mean, he's huge. He's like a house, but he's so agile and he's got feet and he's got quickness. He's got. Yeah, he's going to be an NFL player. And uh, he was really excited about him. He really, really liked Zach Banner, and and that kind of you know reinstated. Okay, you know we saw some things today we liked I continue to see him and he improves more and more and being 6'9 you realize he's just got a lot 
of growing to do into that body. You know, he's got to get his coordination together, and he's got to kind of get his balance together. Uh, but uh, D-line coach of the West said, this dude, uh, this dude's a real guy. I mean, he he's impressive to look at, and uh, he was impressive in terms of his performance today. And he's going against some pretty darn good off or defensive linemen, guys like Ellis McCarthy was playing uh, some defensive end against them. And um, so, you know, I, I think with Zach Banner, that's a guy that uh, maybe he ups his stock as a guy that could maybe play some left tackle. Kyle Murphy's out here, six five, two seventy five, who I really like as a left tackle. He's playing right tackle right now, but I think uh, you know, I think. In terms of the upside, he might end up being a guy that's maybe the best left tackle uh, that's on the West Coast. Um, he just, you know, he's got to kind of gain some more weight and become a little more physically developed. But uh, another fantastic player. So you definitely got a good offensive line for the West that we saw today. You know, Max Turk is bouncing around, playing some guard. You know, we've seen him play left tackle, right tackle during the season. Uh, there's there's quite a few very good players on this uh, West team that could contribute to USC in the very near future. Okay, uh, we turned that team question into a recruiting one somehow. That's good. Uh, Mike wants to know. Water and wine. Water and wine. All right, uh, he wants to know, I've always enjoyed Dan's per- perspectives on Pat Hayden, Ohio State, and the sanctions. Has anyone heard anything about Todd McNair's lawsuit against the NCAA? And, uh, you know, we should ask Dan about that. Have you, you haven't heard anything recently, have you? Or? It's ongoing. Yeah, there hasn't been any real... Uh new developments in it um he's still suing the ncaa and the ncaa still dragging their feet on the lawsuit basically yeah i don't think they want anything from that to come out so we sorry we don't have any solid updates for you from that we can talk to dan weber again and uh he usually has some some stuff with that but let's go mark and la quinta wants to know do you think that the alliance between the big the big 10 and the pac-12 will have an impact on bcs negotiations although the big 10 appears to be moving to an eight game conference schedule if you read between the lines the two commissioners were not so discreetly referring to strength of schedule and academic standards of certain of a certain southern conference so uh yeah mark i think that's there's some truth to that um i mean i think there's a a legitimate alliance between the two schools Uh, you know it looks like every pac-12 team could be playing a a big 10 team every year um i don't think the bcs is going to be renewed we'll see some kind of different system uh, which is in a couple years, I think it is, uh, for that. So, um, but yeah, I, I think they're kind of worrying about themselves. The most important thing to those conferences is the Rose Bowl. They want to keep doing it that way, and you know, having a strength of schedule, uh, I don't think that hurts either. But I would like to see the Pac-12 go to the the eight game conference schedule. I think it does hurt them. There's some debate on both sides of that, but I don't like seeing the full uh, nine game conference schedule. You're just it just doesn't. It's hard to compare when you're talking about the SEC doing eight conference games and then playing some patsies, and then the Pac-12 doing uh, nine of those games. Uh, let's see. Here's one from Greg in the OC. How do you think Lane will use George Farmer in 2012? Is it appropriate to compare Farmer's potential to Adrian Peterson? I'll let Gerard take this one. It is because that comparison has been made by certain people on the coaching staff and at USC. And so, uh, you know, it's a physical comparison at this point. you got a guy that, um, you know, has a little more height on him than maybe your average running back. And, uh, you know, right now he's 215 pounds. And so you've got uh, a track guy who runs a legitimate 10-4 who's about 6'1", 215 pounds. So there's going to be some of that Adrian Peterson comparison. Now, I think the one thing important to point out about Adrian Peterson coming out of high school, 
uh, when we watched him, he really, really attacks the defense. He was a guy that you give the ball to and you watch his legs and his legs just literally eat up ground. And uh, you're not going to see that with George Farmer. He's not that kind of aggressive, kind of running out of his own skin type runner. And that's what you saw from Adrian Peterson. What makes Adrian Peterson so good is just that he has those instincts and those aggressiveness uh, mentalities as a as a running back. And you combine that with a guy that was you know a ten three eight type sprinter at uh, you know legitimate six one six two. So what you just hope with Farmer is that he has the skill of a receiver. He's able to kind of uh, have the game slow down a little bit for him, kind of gain a little more vision in terms of, you know, the awareness of what the defense is trying to do to uh, to eliminate his, you know, ability to get through the seam. And, uh, and once he kind of figures that out, when he gets into those situations where he can get his shoulder square and get upfield, uh, he attacks it. You know, he puts his foot in the ground, he cuts, and he goes. And uh, if he's able to do that, then you've got a guy that, uh, you know, that that ten four is really going to come in to play, and you're going to see a guy that is able to break some big time runs, kind of kind of like we saw with Curtis McNeil. You know, Curtis McNeil surprised some people getting around the corner this year. Well, if USC is able to get a guy who's you know two fifteen and can do some of those same things, and do that also in between the tackles where you break some angles. Uh, that's big time. I mean, that changes the offense a lot. And uh, you got a home run threat there uh, in the offensive backfield. Uh, the defense is just, uh, you know, you've got to totally kind of revamp your scheme against that offense. So we'll see if that's able to happen. You know, it's going to be development. I think he's definitely, definitely going to be a running back. I have not heard anything otherwise. They're sold on him playing running back. And uh, there's been a lot of uh, people uh, with, with pretty good credentials who feel like, He's going to be the guy. He just has to kind of learn the position, and and there's nothing that natural talent. There's no lacking of natural talent um, that uh, George Farmer has uh, that's going to impede his ability to play running back. And uh, I'll throw a name out there uh, of someone who actually did make a very lofty comparison uh, for George Farmer as a running back, and that was John Robinson. Uh, John Robinson, uh, from what I hear indirectly from a few different sources actually uh, made a comment that you know he felt like he ran a lot like Marcus Allen and so that's that's pretty good John Robinson was a hell of a running backs coach and so he's seen some guys come and go in his day Eric Dickerson uh, Marcus Allen there's been a few running backs that uh, he's coached and he's seen and for him to make that comparison and to make it with such certainty says a lot about George Farmer and and maybe his ability to play running back so uh, I think Trojan fans just have to be patient and uh, kind of sit back, it could definitely be a whole nother dimension to that offense, which is already very potent. Okay, uh, let's see. Melvin, kind of a long question. I'll paraphrase what he's talking about here. He's, it's basically the USC defense improved a lot from 2010 to 2011. And he said Coach Harvey Hyde and Dan Weber have been kind of critical of the defensive schemes. His question was, do you attribute the, pro- the uh, improvement of the defense to a different scheme? Or what? And I, I think there was a combination of things, and I, I'll let Gerard comment as well. Um, I do think that the the coaching staff knows the player and the personnel a lot better. They knew him a lot better in 2011 than they did in 2010. Kind of knew what what they did well and what they didn't do well. I think you saw a lot last year in 2010 of a, of a kind of reading as opposed to attacking. And then I think as the year progressed, you saw a lot more attacking. And I think they let a lot of the players go to their strength. I think Lane Kiffin did a great job of moving guys around. Uh, you have a guy like Deion Bailey, who is a safety, ends up leading the 
team in tackles. Uh, you know, as a as a redshirt freshman, it moved to a linebacker spot. Uh, I think they changed the scheme a little bit, but I think a lot of it was just kind of more the calls and and they let the guys attack a little bit more, not trying to figure out a, a more complicated defense. They simplified things, and I think that helped the players a lot. The players also understood the coaches a lot better. Uh, they knew what was expected of them. And, you know, by the end of the year, you had three freshman linebackers starting, and I think they did a really good job uh, of, of, you know, flying to the ball. Deion Bailey, Hayes Pillard, <laughs> you know, tied for the lead in tackle. So that's pretty impressive for a whole bunch of freshmen. And uh, Lamar Dawson, you know, he had a real good – end of the season as well and having tj mcdonald leading the defense i think he understood things better uh he's he's been a great leader and having him come back i think is maybe not as important as having matt barkley back but it's pretty darn important and you're going to see him through the offseason workouts he was leading them last year he's going to do it again this year so uh, i think some of that was some of the improvements do you have anything else for that one gerard i agree i i think that uh it's development of guys like Dion bailey that were redshirt freshmen that were able to come in and contribute. And, you know, Hayes Plurt, same thing. A guy that came in in that Oregon game and was dominant. And those guys weren't playing a year ago. And they were able to, you know, go ahead and, and get some development out of those guys. And, uh, you know, really play a lot faster this year. So, yeah, you know, I agree 100% that it was one of those things where, you know, second year of the scheme, guys understood it more. And you were able to get some of the development from guys that uh, were able to kind of watch a little bit last year. And that's big. You know, I've talked about it. Player development is crucial for a team's success, for really a program success. And uh, that's on the coaching. So it was definitely one of those things where, you know, they were able to evaluate their own roster. You could talk about going out and evaluate recruits all day long. And that's obviously important before you get guys um, on your roster. But you also have to be able to look at your own roster and, and understand your strengths and weaknesses. And I think this coaching staff did that. They made some personnel moves and uh, were able to get a guy like Deion Bailey and put him at the linebacker position and uh, and get, you know, huge contributions from him. All right. Uh, Tarion wants to know, what do you guys think of DJ Morgan's future? It was really puzzling to go from starter to a non-player. And he did, he's a guy that seemed to kind of get himself into the doghouse. A player I like a lot. He, you know, Dan Weber was talking about this. He might have worked a little too hard. He was getting banged up. I mean, he would go home and do, you know, after working out and doing all the USC stuff, he would go home and, you know, bang out, you know, thousands of reps of, you know, just calisthenics and stuff. He was, and Dan had a theory, he might have been working himself a little bit too hard. Uh, so we'll see how if that, that changes a little bit. What do you think about DJ Moore? I think he had an ACL senior year of high school, and it takes, you know, a year, year and a half to really come back from that. And not necessarily physically so much as just mentally kind of understanding your body and, and kind of getting your balance back with that. And, you know, you're shifting your weight because he's obviously getting bigger as a player. He's bulking up and, you know, he's becoming more physically uh, impressive than he was in high school. And, and carrying that weight around when you all of a sudden had this injury, you know, during a time when you're just developing physically is difficult. And so I think, you know, this year is definitely going to be uh, a year where you get to see a little more of what he's really about and what he's going to be about at USC. Some guys just never come back from that ACL. They never regain that step. Some guys do. So we're going to see about DJ Morgan, I think, this year. Granted, you know, working himself too hard, I don't know. I don't know exactly what he was doing, you know, outside of practice. I know he would stay after practice and he would catch balls and he would do all the right things. And you really like to see that as a player or, excuse me, as a coach when your player is out there and he's he's really doing everything he can to be coachable 
and to try to kind of prove, hey, you know what, I'm going to do the extra mile. I'm going to do that extra just to make sure that I'm prepared. And, um, you know, being a guy that was even hurt when he was hurt, he was doing everything he could. You know, he would stand around and catch balls with the quarterbacks, the receivers, just to kind of stay involved. And I think that's a, a big thing. You don't want a guy that gets hurt to kind of go in a shell and kind of disassociate himself from the team and from football. He never did that. And I just feel like that's going to work out for him in the end. I, I don't know how, but I, I kind of think it is. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I, I think he does have a future. Uh, and I think he has a future at USC because of how how, work, how hard he worked. And um, and he's a, he's a good kid. You know, he's, he's not a guy that uh, I think, you know, the doghouse thing because he fumbled. If there's anybody who could work himself out of that, I think is DJ Morgan. Okay, and then one last team one. Uh... Boyd in San Ramon wants to know any specific plans to upgrade the Coliseum if and when USC gets the master lease. And uh, I think the LA Times did a really good article about the corruption and how crazy things were for the Coliseum Commission. That's that's dying. That's you know that's that's just a matter of time. I don't think I don't know of any specific plans um, from USC, but they didn't have the money to do the the upgrades that USC had negotiated. So it's that's ending. It's just taking a little bit. It's could take a little bit of time, but I think you're going to see in the end USC will have that, and uh, then you should be able to see some more improvements. The, the video board was great. That was at least one good one. Um, I w- didn't know if they were going to finish in time for the season, but obviously they did. Okay, let's knock out our last few recruiting questions, Gerard, and then we'll call it a night. Is Shaq Thompson's interest in USC genuine, or is he just having fun with the media? That's from Brian, and that came after... <laughs> he was named. He said USC was a leader. Now has apparently dropped USC. What's going on with Shaq Thompson? Apparently, uh, Shaq Thompson, after he named USC his leader on camera for AMP Sunday night, um, you know, some of the folks on Twitter kind of didn't believe that USC was his leader and thought he was playing games, uh, which they correctly diagnosed. And uh, he got upset and said, you know, USC fans weren't taking me seriously. And because they're not taking me seriously, I've dropped the school. So uh, he kind of put it on USC fans uh, as why that was the reason he wasn't going to go to USC. So then Notre Dame became the new school that he was really interested in because his buddy, quote unquote, Shaq Tom or uh, T. Shepard was actually going to Notre Dame. And he thought, hey, I I like to go and and play with uh, uh, T. Shepard. So you've got Shaq Thompson. Uh, basically outing T. Shepard, who's uh, created a bunch of drama in it of itself with uh, this whole thing. He's going to pull two names out of a hat, and it's really between Notre Dame and USC, creating you know a bunch of drama where there really wasn't any drama. You know, he visited USC, and uh, a lot of people said you know he had a good visit. We heard some things, nothing definitive about you know him him being a commitment, but you know that he had a really good time. And uh, kind of went underground. We didn't hear from him. And, and then they went out. He, T. Shepard, and, and uh, Deontay Greenberry, he both visited uh, December 16th, came out and said, no, nah, no, nah, we're, we're going to Notre Dame. We're solid. We're solid. And uh, it kind of was, was, was put to rest to some extent. You know, it was kind of quiet. And, and I don't think anybody was really going to pursue it further with them. And, and all of a sudden they just decided to say, hey, yeah, USC's back in it. We're really looking at USC again. And then, you know, T. Shepard kind of went out and said, you know, I'm so confused right now. I'm just going to pull two names out of a hat. So, uh, you know, Shaq Thompson kind of took the took the lead from there, and all of a sudden USC became a school for him, too, that he was interested in. And, uh, you know, so to, to, to make a long story short, yeah, it was all big game, and kids are just playing games nowadays. And it's kind of unfortunate because I think 
while you can try to keep people guessing and, and try to make you know your announcement maybe bigger than it would be if if everybody kind of had a hunch where you're going, I think you can take it too far. And I think Shaq Thompson got some got some uh, it, it, it kind of it backlash, I guess you would say, on that. And and he kind of learned maybe the hard way that. Uh, you you can only take it so far, and and if you start saying things and people know you're going to another school, and they feel pretty confident about that, and they feel you're trying to pull the wool over their eyes and and try to fool them, they're gonna lash out at you, and that's kind of what happened on Twitter. So the social network uh, kind of works both ways for you, I guess. Yeah, there's been some weird tweets. You mentioned T. Shepard and uh, Shaq Thompson. And speaking of Shaq Thompson, speaking of playing games, there's a question from Jerry in Santa Ana. He said after hearing. Safety Shaq Thompson wanted to visit UCLA. The only thing I could imagine was that he wanted to recruit UCLA's prospects to Cal. If a school finds out that a recruit on official visit is actively recruiting kids to another school, would the school ask him to leave? Obviously, asking a recruit to leave could be bad PR and hurt their chances with future athletes from the same school. Do you think something like this has ever happened? You know, the rumor was last year it actually did happen at UCLA with Cole Lyerla. Uh, there was some talk that uh, he was sent home on his official visit early because he was talking up Oregon to some kids, and the coaching staff overheard it, and he really didn't want that, you know, there on the visit. Uh, and so there's there's been some incidents that uh, we've heard things, uh, you know, kind of in that vein of, of kids maybe being there and, and trashing the school that they're visiting or maybe talking too highly of another school and, Obviously, these coaches don't want that around. They're trying to recruit a kid to their school, and, and they don't need anybody else whispering in their ear uh, that, uh, no, this is not really the place for you. You should come go where I'm really going. So, yeah, definitely. And, and there's kids been sent home from visits. There's been plenty of cases of that. So, yeah, it definitely could happen. Okay, and then one last one. Question for Gerard. This is from Brian. I'm not sure what Cal is selling, and I've been getting this a lot on Twitter as well. Uh, but it seems to be working with Ellis McCarthy – Kevon Seymour, should USC fans be concerned? Well, it depends what you mean by concerned. Um, yes, they're looking at Cal. Uh, how seriously they're looking at Cal? Well, Kevon Seymour is going to announce his uh, college decision January 7th, this Saturday, from the Alamo Dome in San Antonio. We will be there live covering the announcement. And, uh, you know, he likes Cal. He likes USC. He likes a few other schools, too. We're going to see what happens with him shortly. So do USC, do USC fans have to be concerned? Cal is an option for him. So I guess, uh, you know, if you don't read the peristyle and uh, you don't read the practice reports or the live updates from practice uh, or the notebook or the many other things that uh, we put together – uh, throughout the week, then maybe you should be concerned. You should be concerned that you're out of the loop on recruiting and you're not a real Trojan fan. Uh, with Ellis McCarthy, his recruitment is a little farther out in terms of an end game. You know, he's going to take a couple visits, if not three visits still. You know, he's looking at Cal uh, for that January 13th visit right now. He said he'd probably go there. Uh, you got USC that wants him to come in on an official visit. You got UCLA that's trying to claw their way back in to his recruitment. So that that one's a little more, uh, can you be concerned? I mean, yeah, if you really want to worry yourself to death. I mean, there's, it's, it's, there's still a long ways to go in his recruitment, believe it or not. I, I think it's going to be one of those things that's going to go till signing day. I think he doesn't really care too much about the drama, doesn't really care too much about, 
you know, the coaches talking to him and talking to his family. And I think he really just is going to make that decision where he's going to see everything he needs to see. And he's going to listen to every recruiting pitch he has to, to make sure he's making a good decision, he and his family. So uh, with him, you know, you could be concerned because I think uh, Cal's got a, a, a legitimate shot. I think UCLA is, is definitely going to try to steal him and, and could have a legitimate shot if they just get a little more time. You know, right now they're trying to make up a lot of ground. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, again, it's concern. You know, what, 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 how, do you, how do you describe concern and what concerns you? You know, what concerns me doesn't necessarily concern Ryan. So uh, we'll see, you know, kind of how that goes um, with, with, you know, like I said, kind of a long recruiting process for him still to go. All right. Well, that's our show coming at you from San Antonio. We're at the Grand Hyatt Hotel in our room recording the podcast on our little laptop. It is very late. It is after 1 a.m. here in San Antonio on Tuesday now, so we'll still get it up. We're still getting it up on Monday, West Coast time. It will be up before midnight. So we do apologize for going up so late but you can enjoy it on a Tuesday morning or something instead of the normal Monday afternoon. But thanks to Gerard Martinez for coming on the show and talking all USC recruiting and team stuff. We got to share some of that. And thanks to everyone for tuning in. We're going to come back again on Wednesday. I think it'll be Wednesday. We'll do a Trojan Blast podcast from here in San Antonio talking about some of the specific USC targets. There are three committed recruits here could USC could get a couple that are announcing at this game and there's some other prospects as well so lots of information here USC recruiting you got you guys talked about Adrian Peterson George Farmer those are former US Army All-Americans we saw them here in San Antonio so there's a lot of future stars here uh, in San Antonio performing and we're trying to get you footage and videos and interviews with all of them if you check out uscfootball.com we got all of that but for gerard martinez and ryan abraham signing out from san antonio we'll be back on wednesday for the trojan blast thanks for tuning in and we'll talk to you next time you've been listening to the pair style podcast presented by uscfootball.com be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on trojan football and recruiting And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 